The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, uh, the largest provider of professionally-led cancer support services in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by Amgen and Genentech, we'll be talking about lymphoma, and specifically non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is now the seventh most common cancer in males and females in the United States. The good news is that there is a new educational program designed to enhance lymphoma patient and physician communication. This research-based program led by the cancer support community with support from Cephalon provides lymphoma patients with easy-to-use patient tip sheets outlining ways to approach each conversation with their healthcare team across the course of the cancer journey from diagnosis throughout treatment. September is Leukemia and Lymphoma Awareness Month, so there's really no better time to talk about this than right now. Before I introduce our guest, I want to take a step back and go over some of the basics. Lymphoma is a type of blood cancer that originates in the lymphatic system. There are nearly 630,000 people living with lymphoma in the United States, and another 74,000 will be diagnosed this year. Clearly, there's a significant population out there that is being impacted, which is why the cancer support community has developed Framing Life with Lymphoma. We engaged many experts in creating the program, and two of them are here with us today to talk about this new resource and how it can help you. First, we have Jane Fretz. Jane is a cancer survivor and a board member at our local affiliate, the Cancer Support Community of Greater Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Kim. And we're also here with Dr. David Henry, uh, a hematology specialist at Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia, clinical professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and vice chair of the Department of Medicine. Dr. Henry was also the physician advisor for the Framing Life with Lymphoma program, and we're so grateful to have him here with us today. Welcome, Dr. Henry. Thank you, Kim. Very happy to be here. Uh, We've got so much to cover on the show today, so I want to jump right in. Um, Jane, I'm going to start with you. Tell us your own personal story. When were you diagnosed with cancer, and and tell us what that was like for you. Um, I was diagnosed in May of 2005, and I went into an emergency room in extreme pain, which meant that um, my indolent uh, lymphoma had had really taken over. Um, At the time, we did not know exactly what it was, suspected it was lymphoma, 
but uh, it could have been something more serious. So when I found out it was treatable, I, I and, and my family were greatly relieved. So, Jean, when you were uh, when you were diagnosed, so just walk us through that. How were you diagnosed? Did you uh, did you receive a second opinion? Um, you know, what was it like when they when they told you what was going on? Um, when they discussed the fact that it was probably lymphoma, and of course, I had to. They harvested a lymph node to make sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a week long wait until we knew exactly what it was, and then. Um, I was told it was indolent follicular lymphoma, um, a very common one, but very not curable, but very treatable. And uh, so um, my, my interest was, how do we go about this? Let's get started. Yeah, yeah. So, so let, let's back up for a second, Dr. Henry. Um, Jane mentioned indolent lymphoma, indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, can you can you give our listeners some of the basics about you know let's start with that maybe just start with, with what is lymphoma and then what, maybe what is indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because it seems like there are several several types of lymphoma. Sure, very good points. And so if we break it down, people get a diagnosis of cancer, and this word lymphoma is used. There's a Hodgkin's type, which is fairly rare and much more typical. Jane was told, gee, you had the non-Hodgkin's type, which people it's a mouthful, so people just tend to refer to it as lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, that is the more common one diagnosed in the U.S., maybe 70,000 per year, but so important what you said, 630,000 people in the U.S. living with it because the word indolent or chronic or ongoing journey with this tumor once it's diagnosed is the, is the rule rather than the exception. And, and a question to you, Jane, it, was it more than one place, not just one lymph node? Was it elsewhere? It, was, uh, it covered the entire abdominal uh, area. Yeah, and so many people get so focused on what is my cancer, and the, the friends and neighbors will ask, was it stage one, two, three, four? And the doctor in lymphoma may say, well, you know, it's stage four, meaning it's not in just one place, it's in several places. And that doesn't work so well in lymphoma because um, there's a different system, and not so much the stage one, two, three, four, but what organs, how many of them, how much in them, what has happened to your blood counts. And even despite all of that, it's so very treatable. And so the patient begins, as Jane did, on a journey with his or her oncologist to, to treat either occasionally with nothing, but it sounds like from your presentation that you had symptoms that needed addressing. And so therapy can be radiation, chemotherapy, antibody. We're developing even vaccines. So it, it, you just need to settle in, speak with the doctor as to what kind of lymphoma I have. It's this indolent chronic type, which is the most typical non-Hodgkin's mm-hmm and lymphomas we're going to call it from here on out. So the so indolent part, Dr. Hammer, really means that it's going to be a slower growing and folks are going to be living with this disease over a longer period of time, almost of a chronic nature. Quite true. Okay, okay. And so, Jane, you said that um, you decided not to get a second opinion, um, but so tell us, you know, how were the treatment options presented to you? Um, what kind of treatments did you choose and, and why? Tell us about that, that part of your decision-making. Well, the decision-making was really there was no decision in my case, and I think Dr. Henry would would agree with this, that my particular lymphoma, there's a standard treatment, and I understand it probably is international. Um, So that I accepted. What I did do, though, is I did seek out a second opinion for my treatment options 
um, could I have a different protocol? And I had personal reasons for, for determining that. And I discovered that at the time, John Hopkins was having a focus on NHL research. So I made an appointment to go there, and, of course, they told me my treatment was standard. But then again, I was facing a big event in my life, and if I wanted to delay aggressive treatment, they suggested that I go on a drug I'm sure Dr. Henry is very familiar with called Rituxan. Mm-hmm. for one month, and what that would do would put me in a temporary remission. Um, my daughter was getting married, and I wanted to be myself at her mm-hmm. wedding, which mm-hmm. I was. It worked. And mm-hmm. I brought that option back to the Lehigh Valley to my doctors here, and they said, oh, of course we can do that. So right. that's what right. we did. You know, I think it's so important, Dr. Henry Jane really brings up a, an important event in her life, which she shared with her health care team, and they made some decisions uh, based on that. And really, that is what the Framing Life with Lymphoma program is about, isn't it? It's about, uh, uh, you know, how we can improve the communication between patients and physicians so patients can be making the best decisions for them, you know, and getting the best care possible. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that program, Dr. Henry? Sure, Will, and I think that brings uh, focus is just as you said, that patients had a life before, during, and after this diagnosis, and you can't just stop and say, well, I'm the doctor or I'm the, the caregiver system, and you know, now you'll, you'll march to the beat of my drum, and we don't want that. So this program of Framing Life with Lymphoma and our website with the same name, .org, it empowers, I think, patients and doctors, both of whom I, I got involved with this because I think on the doctor's side, we enjoy like getting this kind of information, helping us, helping Jane, helping the patient to bring out what's bothering her, what is happening in her life, and then likewise a patient or Jane would visit the same site, get involved in the same program, and be empowered to talk with the physician or the healthcare team as to uh, what is this all about, what should I expect, what are my symptoms, how do I report them, basically what to expect is kind of a toolbox of ideas and issues and ways to cope with the diagnosis. And if I could just speak back a second to something Jane said as she was just talking. The second opinion thing, so the pathology, these lymphomas are are common enough but not always that common so that sometimes it takes a little bit of time, and she mentioned two weeks, to get the diagnosis. There are general pathologists and lymphoma specialists, and almost always this kind of biopsy will be shown to a lymphoma pathology specialist because what kind of lymphoma do you have? really dictates what kind of treatment and outcome you will have. I think the second opinion thing, um, other options, I encourage patients right at the front because they may be reluctant. They don't want to offend me or, or embarrass me or themselves by saying we want to see somebody else. I suggest that. You know, I want you to be comfortable with me. Maybe you would like a second opinion. I can help you get one. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Henry, we have a break in just a minute, but okay. um, two weeks to, to, to get that information back. Boy, that must seem like a lifetime for patients. Well, it really does, and I'm sure Jane can weigh in on that. And we kind of um, tell the patient, you know, I'm now your, your captain or your team captain. Here's a number to get right into us. If you think it's been longer than the time we said, call this number, get right to us, because it's just a waiting, waiting sword over your head type feeling that patients shouldn't have to go through longer than necessary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, September is leukemia and lymphoma uh, awareness Month today, we are talking about 
uh, lymphoma. Dr. Henry told us there's 630,000 people living with lymphoma um, uh, in the United States. We're talking in particular today about something called indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is which is a, uh, a type of lymphoma that is a slower-growing lymphoma that folks uh, really are oftentimes dealing with over a, a longer period of time, almost a, almost a chronic nature uh, in some ways. We are actually launching today a new national educational program called Framing Life with Lymphoma, and this program is really designed to address the gaps that we've uh, observed in communication between patients and, and, uh, and their oncologists. And we're going to, uh, uh, after the break, we're going to get a little bit more uh, into some of the details of the program. And we're going to, uh, again, let folks know what, uh, you know, the web, where the website is, what tools and resources are available, free resources available online for folks with lymphoma. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Do you take the time to regularly reassess your life? Ideally, you should be reviewing where you are and where you need to be every 90 days. Get the tools to help you when you tune in to Make Your Life a Feast with your host, Angie Yazalitis. Angie's program is based on a 90-day mini wellness challenge. You will receive coaching to help you make simple but lasting changes in your life. If you're looking to change your health and well-being, let us help you find out where to start. And more importantly, get started. Make Your Life a Feast airs live Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America health and wellness your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness you're listening to frankly speaking about cancer with the cancer support community an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer now here's your host kim tibaldo president and ceo of the cancer support community Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, our show today is being brought to us in part by uh, generous support from Morphotech and uh, from Novartis Oncology. September is Leukemia and Lymphoma Awareness Month, and today we're talking about a new educational resource called Framing Life with Lymphoma, which is designed to enhance lymphoma patient and physician communication. I'm so pleased to be here today with Jane Fretz, who is a cancer survivor and a board member at our Cancer Support Community Affiliate there in Greater Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, and uh, Dr. David Henry, who is a hematologist and oncologist and a clinical professor of medicine 
at Pennsylvania Hospital. Um, Jane, Jane, let's get back to you. Um, I know that you've been involved with this program, Framing Life with Lymphoma. I understand you volunteered uh, to be in a focus group when the program was first uh, under development. Tell us why you, uh, why you chose to get involved and what that experience was like for you. Well, I, I chose to get involved because I wanted to help someone else who would be diagnosed and, and living with perhaps fear and help take away that fear. Um, I wanted to let them know they do have a future even when they're living with cancer. Um, it is not necessarily a death sentence. So if there was any way I could give hope uh, to someone out there, I would be more than happy to participate. And you talked, Jane, about um, you made some treatment choices with your team because your daughter was getting married and yes. you wanted to be able to kind of feel normal and, and uh, really be a, a part of that really special event uh, with your family. How did that all go? Tell us about that. Uh, uh, you mean how the wedding went? And yeah, how tell it all us worked? about that. Sure. Well, how did you feel? I had, the, feel? Uh, I had the treatment one month prior, uh, two months prior to the wedding <clears throat> and began to feel really good. Uh, during the wedding, I, I couldn't have been better. I couldn't have been felt better. It was, it was, uh, it really worked. It gave me that time space I needed uh, prior to starting aggressive chemo. Um, I didn't start aggressive chemo until six months after I was diagnosed. So really, that 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 communication with the doctor was so important in making sure that you were ready for that special event for you and your family. Yes. And, and yeah. it was extremely helpful. My team was behind me every step of the way. Dr. Henry, I know sometimes when a patient is in with the oncologist, they feel a little intimidated, uh, they feel a little overwhelmed, and maybe they kind of forget their questions they want to ask, and, and uh, uh, I know it can be really challenging. So, um, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, is, Jane, is Jane's the situation, kind of situation that you're confronting um, in your practice? I mean, you know, tell us why this level of communication is so important and, and, and so valuable and how it's so important to, for the physician to understand these things and, and why it's so important to the patient's overall well-being. I think Jane's story is very typical. So some symptom complex usually causes the patient to go to the doctor and that visit, one thing leads to another. It may be the primary care doctor, often is. And uh, eventually when things are found out, like lymph nodes felt or CAT scans done and organs are enlarged or, enlarged or lymph nodes are seen enlarged inside the body, a biopsy is done, just as in Jane's case, and then you had this very nervous, anxious, terrifying visit to the oncologist because now the diagnosis has been made. What are we going to do? And patients often report, Jane can weigh in on this, just sitting in the waiting room looking around going, am I like that person? Am I like this person? He doesn't look too good. She looks great. Which one am I? And then you get in the doctor's room, and uh, usually, hopefully, the oncologist settles things down, talks calmly, passionately, understandingly about what this diagnosis is, and in this case of indolent lymphoma, how this is a diagnosis that, yes, bad news because you didn't want this, but good news, so very treatable. Oh, you have a wedding coming up. Let's talk about what we could do to make you feel better, to have a great time at that wedding, and then we'll do something different or maybe the same thing afterwards. Jane got this antibody called rituxan, which yeah. is a very popular treatment, and Jane, you tell us uh, the symptoms that you got, side effects from this therapy were probably next to nothing. It usually goes very well except for a long day in the treatment. I think it's about four hours probably to get that treatment. 
Um, I, actually, I had a slight reaction to it, so it Did took you? me a little longer. But <clears throat> you're right. The side effects were next to none, and uh, just the treatment time took longer for me. Um, and it was it was remarkable. Um, actually, I've had I had treatments after aggressive chemo with rituxan to just uh, act as a booster to uh, help prolong the remission. So let's so let's go to so after your daughter's wedding, Jane, you began a more kind of aggressive treatment regimen. Tell us what that was like. Uh, did you have some side effects from that? How did you manage that? Tell us about the the sort of next phase in in your care. Well, the um, my treatments were three weeks apart. Um, I think total of six. Um, and the week following each treatment, I would have what they call a nadir visit, which means nadir is at the lowest point of your health spectrum at that point in time. Everything is down, your blood count, your weight count. And I met with our nurse practitioner in my oncologist's office who addressed the side effects I was experiencing and prescribed appropriate medication to help counteract these side effects. So I kept copious notes and would report each time, and then I would get the response I needed. So it worked. And tell us, for how long did you have treatment? You said you had a, a booster treatment after. What, what's happening with you now? Kind of give us an update on the, on the, you know, the kind of the path that you've been walking. Well, my total aggressive treatment time was five and a half months, and it was that long primarily because I did contract an infection that was very close to going into pneumonia in the middle of it, and so they had to put it off for a while. But I was declared in remission June of 2006. That right. was four years ago. Yeah. I had uh, three sessions of rituxan uh, every six months and uh, after that, and I've in no treatment whatsoever now. Wow, wow. Uh, Dr. Henry, I mean, are, you know, in terms, I know there's a whole range of treatment options for people with lymphoma. Some have more side effects, some have fewer side effects. Um, you know, just, just, just give, us a, give, give us a sense of that and uh, some of the side effects that folks are managing through some of these treatments and, and uh, you know, how folks are being, you know, monitored uh, over this long period of time. So when I first began 20 years ago or so, the side effects that we caused terribly and everyone thinks of with this kind of therapy is nausea and vomiting. And we were so focused on the therapy, we weren't as focused then as we are now on the side effects, anticipating and preventing them. And yeah. so, Jane, did you have much in the way of nausea and vomiting? None whatsoever. Yeah. The drugs were remarkable. It, it, you know, that's, I, I couldn't highlight that more. I remember in 1991 when the first new drug, which is now in common use today and improved upon, came out for nausea and vomiting. I saw a patient mm -hmm. in the hospital who was getting a very typical vomiting-provoking recipe of therapy, and I thought, and he, I saw him eating a hoagie. I thought, oh, this man's going to be so sorry. I wish he hadn't done that. He was getting the new medication. He enjoyed his hoagie, went to sleep, left the hospital the next day. And so those, <laughs> everyone to this day still thinks of those side effects as typical. They still do occur, but they're much less common, and uh, Jane's story is, is so refreshingly typical. I know we mentioned that your, uh, 
you're there in Philadelphia, Dr. Hemi, but I think once you once you throw out the word hoagie onto the table, I think people are, you know, you you, you could have said hoagie or cheesesteak. I cheese should steak. have said cheesesteak. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, Dr. Hemi, in terms of the Framing Life with Lymphoma program, we talked about how, you know, we're, we're trying to educate patients and provide them with tips and uh, information and resources on how to better communicate with the healthcare team. Do you think the program and this messaging will also be helpful to oncologists and to other members of the healthcare team? So I've been doing this for 20 years or so, as I've said, and I yet I learn from my patients every day mm. um, what is important to them, what I should have asked, what I ought to do, how they have a nuance to their particular case or care. And, of course, I'm very busy. There are so many developments, especially in lymphoma, new therapies, new side effect preventers, new, new ways to continue this journey for such a long time. So I think a program like this, which is patient-doctor-related, really helps refocus me on what is on that patient's mind, what should he or she be asking me, what I should be asking them. It's a nice refresher plus new information on how the healthcare side of this, the nurse practitioner, the physician's assistant, the chemotherapy nurse, and the oncologist interact with the patient to get the best for them and the most out of them in terms of what's on their mind. Uh, Dr. Henry, we've got a break coming up in just a couple minutes, but can, can you give us a sense of, of, of what some of the tips are, a couple highlights, some of the tips that we're sharing with patients through the Framing Life with Lymphoma program? Give us some examples. Sure, of course. So I think bring someone with you. I'm surprised how many times a patient will be there and I'm giving a serious diagnosis and the patient's alone. And I say, is your husband in the waiting room? Um, do you want to get a friend on the phone? Oh, should I have brought someone? Yes. So, so be prepared that you, the patient, will be frozen to some point, to some extent, in getting this information and not remember it exactly. Bring a friend, bring a relative. Be prepared with questions. So what's on your mind coming in because you'll freeze up a bit as you're there and what's yeah. important to ask? Take notes uh, and don't be afraid to bring out symptoms that you think might not be important, but they always are. I, I can't echo that any stronger than what Dr. Henry just said. Always have someone with you taking notes and have yeah. a list of questions. You know, we developed the Framing Life with Lymphoma program based on a survey that we had done of both uh, lymphoma patients and uh, and oncologists, and um, we we did see in the survey that there are some that there are some disconnects, there are some gaps, and sometimes the things that patients think are important, doctors don't think are as important, or are just aren't necessarily top of mind. I know, Dr. Henry, one of the things we noted was that um, uh, patients are really thinking so much about the impact of the disease on their family, but oftentimes the doctors just really focused on the patient and making sure the patient gets the right treatment and the uh, and the right care that's uh, possible, but do you see, just quickly, do you see, um, do you see this idea of the family coming more into the conversation with the physician as your practice has evolved? I certainly do, and I think as crazy as it sounds, the patient, thanks to a program like this, needs to go into this encounter with the doctor and the oncology team, educating me. I know what I'm trying to get at to make this treatment go well and to make this patient live as long as possible and do as well as long as possible, but, but what else does this patient have that's different, like Jane's wedding? So other things that are important with her, with family, I need to know. Right. Uh, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, I'm Kim Tebow, though. Today we're talking about a new program that's being launched 
today called Framing Life with Lymphoma. It is a national research-based program that is designed to help lymphoma patients and their oncologists improve their relationship, improve their communication, open up the dialogue. Um, uh, folks can find out more about the program at framinglifewithlymphoma.org where there are a whole host of free resources, some wonderful tip sheets uh, for patients to give them the resources, the tools, uh, the guidance that they need to make sure uh, that they really are building a strong relationship with the healthcare team um, and they have the information that they need at their fingertips. We are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you today in part by Pfizer. Uh, I'm Kim Tibaldo, and we're here with Dr. David Henry, hematologist and oncologist and uh, clinical professor of medicine at Pennsylvania Hospital, and Jane Fretz, a cancer survivor and a board member at the Cancer Support Community of Greater Lehigh Valley. Uh, we have been talking about the importance of communication between lymphoma patients and their oncologists and the Cancer Support Community's new educational uh, resource that was developed with support from Cephalon called Framing Life with Lymphoma. Uh, this program is designed to enhance lymphoma patient and physician communication. Um, Dr. Henry, let's go back to, to talk a little bit more about the prevalence of, uh, of, of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, what the, what the numbers are looking like. Are, are, the, are the numbers growing? Are more people being diagnosed uh, with this disease? And do we know anything about what causes it or who might be at risk for developing the disease? Yeah, so to put it in context, people hear about or talk about cancer, they tend to think about breast cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, which, which are the most common in our society and yes. around the world. 
but not far behind is lymphoma, and in particular this indolent lymphoma. And perhaps it may even be more important than it gets credit for, so to speak, because once diagnosed, it's a long process, a long treatment, a long life. And so there are many people, as we said at the top of the hour, about 630,000 in America living with this illness. So it, it is something that um, is not infrequently diagnosed and certainly in a practice. I'm a typical oncologist in Philadelphia. see many patients with this every day. Who gets it? Well, um, the answer is, is really anyone, but who might mm. be more, more likely older than younger, so it's not likely in a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old, and as we get a little older, our immune defenses get a little weaker, and sometimes mm-hmm. things like lymphoma can sneak through. If patients have immunosuppressing conditions or medications, that can put you at higher risk for lymphoma. This is more common in HIV patients. This is more common in patients who've had kidney transplants and are taking immunosuppressive medication to keep from rejecting their kidney or their heart if they had a heart transplant. Mm. Do we know anything, Dr. Henry, about any genetic, any genetic links or genetic risk factors? Well, you'll run across families where this tends to be, in a family, there'd be more than less cancer, and in those families, there may be more than less lymphoma, but, but not so much a genetic link here as simply getting older or taking mm-hmm. immunosuppression drugs or having diseases. I should mention hepatitis C, of which there are 4 million Americans, um, mm-hmm. not all of whom know they have it in the U.S. That is a, a risk, and some patients with um, ulcers, may have an infection called H. pylori. So anyone who has an ulcer listening ought to check with their doctor, did I have that? Is that eradicated? Antibiotics can actually take that away. That's a risk factor for lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And so there's obviously no, no screening for uh, no. lymphoma today. No. Um, so how, how are patients diagnosed? What are some of the typical symptoms? How do we find this disease? So... To put most people at ease, most people who have a swollen lymph node or feel terrible and think their lymph nodes are popping up will not have lymphoma. But that is one of the presentations. Jane had somewhat typical presentation like that of some lumps and feeling terrible. So the, the diagnosis is a lymph node or a, or a swelling inside that might be detected by CAT scan that isn't going away should eventually come to biopsy. You asked, is this increasing? It actually is, and we're not sure why. Slowly the numbers diagnosed each year in the U.S., are increasing. They were, um, 20 years ago, it was 30,000 cases per year. Now it's over 60, over 70,000 cases per year. We actually don't know why that is. And is it, could it possibly be that we're just doing a better job of, of, of identifying it? Yeah, I mean, very, very good point. Um, since people can live with this without knowing it, this right. indolent by, by its very nature and name, so yeah. maybe 20 years ago we weren't as good at diagnosing it as we are now. Right, and people died of it, and maybe we didn't know what they died from. Quite true. Yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jane, you're a wife and a mother of five <coughs> children. Um, when you were first diagnosed and, uh, uh, and and really dealing with the impact of this, how did you deal with your kind of emotions around cancer? How did you talk to your family? How did you involve your family? Tell us a little bit about that, that part of your experience. Well, I think because I was so sick when I went into emergency, the the options uh, looked kind of grim. It, it, it could have been terminal versus mm. treatable. Mm. So when I found out it was treatable, my mood lifted considerably mm. because I knew I was going to be able to live with this. Um, so as far as emotional, 
I, I was really pretty up knowing that, that, you know, I was going to live, number one. Number two, um, my family, uh, they're kind of spread around the country, but the, the local members of my family were more stricken than I. And mm-hmm. so as a result, I needed to sort of take, be my own best advocate, so to mm-hmm. speak, mm-hmm. Um, do my own research, which my oncologist knew I would do. Yeah. And he gave me every avenue possible to, to look things up and become educated. And um, as far as emotional support, um, interesting story. My first infusion, I was next to a young girl who was 33. Mm. Same thing I have. She was about a year ahead of me in treatment. But she had follicular lymphoma, and we bonded immediately Mm. And we dubbed each other our cellmates. Mm. So my cellmate and I, we still keep in touch. Um, friends, family, church, um, your initial reaction is circle the wagons, you know, with yeah. your family. Yeah. But um, I guess that's, you know, my advice would be reach out to people, become educated, find a support system for yourself and your family. Yeah. Um, and my oncologist and my team, um, you know, make sure there's information out there on support groups such as Cancer Support Community. Jane, uh, I ask when you first got your diagnosis and word got out to your friends and family, sometimes well-meaning friends and family call or come over and tell you about someone else who didn't do well. I, I, patients and family, they tend to have this experience, and so somewhat the patient needs to protect herself from some well-meaning horror stories that might be shared, not realizing this might scare you. Did that happen to you? Um, I can't say that it did. Um, no, that was not my my experience at all. Good. Yeah. 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 And were your were your children all um, grown at the time, Jane? Uh, no, they're all over the country. Uh, uh-huh. Seattle, Vancouver, um, most local Philadelphia, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And and so they all came together, yeah. And they were all a mess. So I, <laughs> so you were you were uh, you were holding down the fort for them. I was huh? holding everybody together, and my husband was a mess. And so it was up to me to deal with this and and get through it. So as far as my own psychosocial support, uh, yeah. it was limited. I dealt with it once I was in remission. Well, I guess I guess as a mother of five, you're used to being in that role. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Take charge, person. Yeah. 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 Um, Doctor Henry. So again, you've been you've been at this for a while. Um, how important do you find that, that you know that support to be? I mean, you talked about an interesting interesting scenario where you know kind of well-meaning well-meaning people <laughs> sometimes might might say and do the you know the wrong thing and i know that i know you know we hear a lot from folks who say oh i really uh, you know i've got someone who's been diagnosed and in my life and uh, yeah i want to help but i don't know what to do and i don't want to say the wrong thing and you know i'm not sure what to do and how to be a helpful friend or a helpful helpful uh, caregiver so you know how do you guide families through this and how do you how do you get them connected to some support resources dr henry Right. So, as I was alluding to, well-meaning family or friend may call and call up and say to Jane or the patient, "You know, um, so sorry you had this. Uh, I have an aunt Jean, and you know she had this and she died, and or she was sick as a dog." Yeah. And they just begin to tell the story, not realizing that they're partly helping themselves, as Jane so well points out. 
many times the patient initially is the rock while everyone around is so distraught by the diagnosis and what's yeah. going on, they might not have had the benefit of sitting with the oncologist and hearing how we can help you, this is treatable, you're going to be okay. Everyone else kind of dissolves into worry that the patient then has to diffuse. You know, another yeah. important point to make is how important is social support and emotional support. Yeah. We, we always thought so, but there's a recent study in lung cancer where patients were getting the same chemotherapy, had essentially the same diagnosis, and they were matched to be evenly distributed between two treatments, one where there was careful, good emotional and social support put in by the healthcare team, and the other patients didn't. They just did the best they could, and actually those who got the better support lived longer. So we think this is um, it's kind of a no-brainer. Do you need a study to prove this? Well, there is a study that does prove it, and the mm-hmm. emotional support can not only help the patient get through it, but do better, live longer. Yeah, yeah. And certainly, I, I found too, Kim, if I could yeah. just interject here. Please, Jane, yeah. That finding others in my situation that we bonded together. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have also found myself in a position where someone has been diagnosed and with what I have, and they've been falling apart, and my husband and I will go and sit with them and let mm. them know that it's not the end of the world, that they will be fine. Um, you just have to kind of bond together as a group. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, I was uh, somewhere recently and someone was talking about community. You know, obviously the name of our organization is Cancer Support Community. We have that, that word community in our name for a reason, and it's exactly what you're talking about, Jane. It's finding community. It's helping folks connect with one another. I mean, we know the, 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 uh, the data shows that when people are diagnosed with cancer, any cancer, that they, they have some common experiences, that they feel a, a loss of control, that they feel a sense of isolation, and that they feel a loss of hope. And really what we do at our, at our 50 centers around the country is, um, we help to combat all of those things in the cancer experience. So we help people find ways to take back control of their lives, of their health. Uh, we, we help people get connected, as you said, Jane, to others who are having the same or, or similar experience. That level of sharing is so meaningful, and uh, I think we really do help people find hope um, in the face of what can be a very, uh, very difficult and very challenging uh, uh, situation. So it's so great to hear both a patient and a physician um, on the show today really talking about uh, the importance not only of, of, of good, uh, good medical care and good side effect management, but really the third piece to that pie is the social and emotional support and really get connect, getting connected in, uh, uh, into, these, into these communities and, and getting connected with, uh, with some others who um, can really help you through the experience. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We are talking about uh, lymphoma. We're launching a new program called Framing Life uh, with Lymphoma designed to enhance lymphoma patient and physician communication. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. The Marsh Engel Show. Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. That's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for The Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. As, as you've heard throughout this episode, communication is key for anyone faced with a cancer diagnosis, particularly lymphoma. Since September is Leukemia and Lymphoma Awareness Month. We're taking a special look at this type of cancer and really shedding some light on what you can do if you have been uh, affected by this disease. Dr. Henry, I want to go back to, for a minute, we started talking earlier in the show about the Framing Life with Lymphoma program. And, uh, again, if folks go to framinglifewithlymphoma.org, they can find some, um, some great tip sheets on how to improve communication with the physician, how to really make sure that they have the tools and resources to have the best care and the best experience possible. Let's go back and talk about a couple more of those tips for our listeners. We talked about the importance of bringing a loved one with you to the appointment to really help you absorb that information. We talked about bringing a notebook um, to really write write down the answers. Um, I know one thing that patients say to us sometimes, Dr. Henry, is um, I um, I feel embarrassed to ask a particular question, uh, you know, of my doctor. Um, what would you say to that patient who's embarrassed to ask you a question? Very easy. There's no such question. And early on in the getting to know the patient, first or second or third encounter, you want to get that across. We try and get that across to our patients that what's ever on your mind is important to us. And so yeah. that's important. And to, to finish with a couple other thoughts in this kind of program and empowering the patient and physician interaction how do you get in touch with your doctor? So you have your appointment, you're there. Hopefully we doctors are not too late, but we tend to be. But then, <laughs> then, it, then it's over. I'm sure Jane's doctors are never late. And then it's, it's over and you're gone. What if you the next day have a fever or a pain or a something? How can you get into your caregiver, whether it be the, the doctor or a physician's assistant, nurse practitioner, etc.? I think another thing to be thinking of is clinical trials. 
we have all these wonderful therapies we have today and do so much better than when I started 20 years ago because we've made progress. And we only make progress because exciting new concepts come along, new drugs, new approaches, new devices, and they're tried out. Now, some are really experimental, and the doctor will make that clear, and others are just about to maybe get FDA approved, but you can't get them without being on a clinical trial. So I think important in your initial or second or third encounter is right. for the patient or someone who's with the patient to say, is this, are these the options uh, that are standard, or are there some soon to come along? What's the deal with clinical trials, to ask of the doctor? And so let's make it clear for a moment, Dr. Hemi, with our listeners, um, we often have times here from patients who say, oh, oh, oh I, don't, I don't want um, a clinical trial because I might get the placebo, I might get the sugar pill. Um, are we right in letting folks know pretty much that in a cancer treatment trial, you are not going to get a placebo, that you're either going to get whatever the standard care is or whatever the standard care is plus something else? That's such a good point. I like to call it with the patient standard of care plus. So we sit down and we go over a consent form or the, the schematic of the clinical trial and say, here's what I could give to you right now, set you up for treatment in our clinic later this week in the infusion yes. center. And if you're in this clinical trial, you would get that for sure or right. you would get that plus. And let's talk about this plus drug or plus therapy and what side effects it might have but what promise or improvement it might give. Right, right. Um, so I think that's so important for patients to know about clinical trials because we, it's something we certainly always encourage patients to ask their doctor, might there be a clinical trial that's right for me and is there something I should be looking at? Because oftentimes if a patient starts a treatment and then they learn a week or two later about a clinical trial, they might not qualify for the trial because they've already started treatment. Is that correct? Exactly right. Yeah. So I think that that's so important. Um, I know... One of the other things we're hearing about a lot today, Dr. Henry, is with this economy, uh, 10% unemployment, people lose their jobs, people lose their health care. We're hearing a lot today from patients and families about concerns about paying, uh, paying for cancer care. Are you hearing concerns in your practice about those issues? We, we are hearing and seeing, and, you know, I pay my bills on time. My wife makes fun of me. She said, you don't even look. You just pay them right away. You should, you should check them. Well, so she checks them for me, but I like to pay my bills on time. It would bother me if I had this running tab with a doctor treating me if I weren't, wasn't up to date in paying, and a lot of patients feel that way. They don't want big surprise bills coming yeah. along that they didn't anticipate or can't pay. So that's yeah. part of the relax your patient approach to have a discussion either directly with the doctor, and I never mind doing that. These medications and therapies are very expensive, but almost always we can take advantage of pharmaceutical programs or um, independent programs, insurance, welfare, whatever, to get the patient covered and get these taken care of and not have the patient worry about another thing, which is a big bill. Yeah, yeah. I want to just mention to our listeners that um, we have a program at the cancer support community called Coping with the Cost of Care. Um, And uh, I'm going to give our information a little bit later in the call, but if folks go to cancersupportcommunity.org, they can download uh, that booklet or order it for free. And it is a booklet that talks about everything. It talks about private insurance, talks about Medicare, Social Security, disability, uh, these pharmaceutical programs, other charity programs that are available out there. So if there are folks listening who are having some challenges paying for their cancer care, please visit our website at cancersupportcommunity.org and look look up that program, Coping with the Cost of 
intensive care, um, and we've got some great information uh, to help folks who are dealing with some of the challenges around paying for some, some costly care uh, uh, these days. And I also want to go back to what you're saying earlier, Dr. Henry. I think it is so important for folks to say, folks to know. There's no question that you can't ask your doctor um, if you're worried about the finances. Bring that up with your doctor. He, you know, he or she might not know all the specifics of your health plan or all the specifics of Medicare Part B, or but they can get you to the resources, both national resources and resources in your community to help. Don't be scared to ask your doctor uh, uh, about these things. Don't be scared to ask your doctor questions about uh, about sexuality. Don't be scared to ask your doctor questions about side effect management. Uh, we hear sometimes patients are really suffering with some side effects that they don't need to be suffering from because they're not bringing these things up uh, uh, really with their oncologist. And that, that really, Dr. Henry, is what this program is about, framing life with lymphoma, is it not? It really is. It, it again, reminds the patient, or maybe the patient hasn't even thought, that there's no question that shouldn't be put on the table if it's on your mind, you the patient, or your family. Your husband, your wife, your, your children might want to know something, and we, we should answer it, should deal with it, and that's what this program is all about. Yeah. Jane, I know you got involved with our, uh, our, our cancer support community affiliate there in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, in the Lehigh Valley. Um, how did you get involved and discover those resources there, and, and, and what has your involvement been? Well, as you know, Kim, um, our organization is, is fairly fledgling. It's only six to seven years old, and uh, one of the founders happens to work with my husband. Mm. And so he got the newsletter to me and encouraged me to uh, visit the um, our headquarters, which I did. Uh, met our executive director, had a tour, was extremely impressed. Was able to pick up some information from the library, and uh, I said, "How can I serve you?" And yeah. they said, "Would you like to be on the board?" So, oh wow, that's how I got there. Wonderful. Well, we and are so grateful. I, I'm just thrilled to be part of it. We are so grateful for your for your board service there, uh, Jane, and for all that you're doing to support uh, our organization, to support people with cancer um, in your community. You and your husband sharing your own story and really reaching out to folks, both you know, in that center there and one on one, to encourage them and to share your own personal story. That's so so meaningful, and really it's the heart and soul of, of who we are and what we do um, as an organization. We're heading towards the end of the show, guys. It's been a really, really wonderful conversation. I'm going to ask you each very quickly um, what advice you would give to someone who has just been diagnosed with lymphoma. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, a couple, couple pieces of advice for them uh, would really uh, appreciate that. Dr. Henry, I'm going to start with you. What, what advice would you give to someone who's just been diagnosed? Well, I love this question because my answer is don't run your own case. Very mm. soon after diagnosis or symptoms or tests are done, identify your captain and make your captain run the case for you. You might need to get a CAT scan, and they tell you if one month from now, your captain will make it happen in two days. So don't yeah. run your own case. Identify your yeah. captain, someone you trust, like, can be comfortable with, and take this journey with, and then let him or her run the case for you. Jane, what about you? What would you tell folks who've just been diagnosed? You've certainly been through this yourself and are still really living with it today. I have to agree with Dr. Henry. Um, actually, I did not have to wait two weeks for my diagnosis because my mm-hmm. captain rushed it through um, as quickly as he could. So, uh, yes, let's let your captain run the show. Question as much as you possibly can. Become educated, but just go with the plan. Wonderful. Well, you guys have just been terrific guests on the show today. I want to thank both of you 
for being here um, to educate and inform our listeners on this uh, very important topic. Um, if you would like to uh, download the uh, Framing Life with Lymphoma program, you can go to framinglifewithlymphoma.org. Uh, as I said, there are some wonderful uh, tip sheets that are available um, on that site. Um, if you would like to learn more about our organization, the Cancer Support Community, uh, give us a call, 888-793-9355, 888-793-WELL, uh, or you can go to www.cancersupportcommunity.org. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, two great organizations, the Wellness Community and Gildas Club, have joined forces to become the Cancer Support Community. We are now a network uh, of 50 affiliates strong across the country. If you visit our site, cancersupportcommunity.org, you'll find a list and a map of all of our centers that are across the country. Uh, at those centers, we provide a whole range of free uh, resources. We provide support groups educational programs, programs on nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. These programs are free uh, for people with all cancers, people with lymphoma uh, and all other cancers, and also for the family members and loved ones uh, of people with cancer. We also invite you to um, visit our friends at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, You can call them at 800 955 You can visit them online at www.leukemia-lymphoma.org. They are good friends of ours there at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We're happy to do some wonderful uh, programs together. They also have a a range of terrific educational and support resources and and advocacy work that they're doing on behalf of people with leukemia uh, and lymphoma. Again, I thank our wonderful guests uh, today for being here. We encourage you to visit framinglifewithlymphoma.org to get those tip sheets. Visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find out about our organization. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.